This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. <laughs> so a few weeks ago, my brothers and I, we went on a camping trip. Um, and I, don't get me wrong, I love South Carolina. I love Charleston. Um, Charleston is a super cool city. That's where I live. It's like right on the coast, and it's hip, and there's young people, and it's fun. Um, but there are parts of South Carolina that really scare me. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'm definitely not, like, I'm definitely a city boy. I'm definitely not a country boy at all, okay? And so we went, we went uh, way, it was like four hours away, almost to Tennessee, and it's like in the foothills of the mountains, and we went to this place called Pickens, South Carolina. Like, it even sounds like a hick town in the name, you know what I'm saying? And so we went to Pickens, South Carolina, um, and we camped. I mean, it's a beautiful state park out there, uh, and we, we had a great time. It was a blast. It was like a jumping rock. It was, just, it was, it was beautiful. Um, but, like, in the morning, we didn't bring any, like, food to cook for breakfast, so we decided we'll just drive into town, go to the local Pickens McDonald's, right? Mix with the locals. <laughs> and so... <laughs> So we went to this Pickens McDonald's for breakfast, and I mean, I don't know, how, how long has it been since, since you, like, ate breakfast inside a McDonald's, right? It's not normally a good idea, right? So we're sitting down in McDonald's in Pickens, South Carolina, eating McDonald's, uh, eating some McGriddles or whatever, you know, and, uh, and there, there's this girl that's, like, sitting there, and she's probably maybe 19, 20, 21, something in that range, and, uh, and she's filling out, like, her job application, and she'd obviously just finished an interview, and I think she was, like, there for orientation, wearing all of the McDonald's swag, you know what I mean? And uh, she's sitting there, and, like, Britney Spears' Toxic comes on over the speakers in this McDonald's, right? And so we're already in Pickens, South Carolina. I'm already scared. Um, and, then, and then Toxic comes on over the speakers. And this girl, I'm not joking you, like... As the song continued, she's filling out her paperwork and just starts singing along at the top of her lungs. And she's like so tone deaf. And it's just, it's horrible, right? And so we have this moment, like my brothers and I, we're sitting across the table from each other. And we just have one of these moments, you know, like when you're not supposed to laugh, but you can't not laugh. Like, so we have one of these moments. It's us and, like, maybe eight other people in this whole McDonald's, and she's singing at the top of her lungs to Toxic in her southern accent, and we're just losing it, right? And so we just started cracking up, and it was this moment where we were like, gosh, we got to get out of here. <laughs> we need to pack up our food and get in the car, right? Um, but I say all that to say sometimes, like, Britney Spears' Toxic, that's great, fine, cool, right? Good song, cool, right? Good song, well-written song. Sometimes you, wa- you don't want to hear the rendition, right? You hear me? Like sometimes you're, you're cool with the original, you want to know the original, you want to hear the original, but, but the rendition, mm, not so great sometimes, right? Right? And I say all that to say that I really believe that some of us, that this has been our experience with Jesus. I think with some of us, we've been handed this version of Jesus, this concept of Jesus, this idea of who Jesus is. I mean, think about it. If we look at our culture, uh, everybody wants to think Jesus is on their side, right? 
It's too easy to say Jesus would be for this or Jesus would be against that. And people use it as just this bargaining chip to win arguments, right? And I think some of us, we've only heard renditions. We've only heard versions of Jesus. Maybe it was something that you were given by your parents growing up. Or maybe it was a church that you went to that told you, oh, it's like this, it's like that, you know. Um, But today we're actually starting this new series called New Through 30, And you guys are going to be walking through the New Testament in 30 days, which is this massive undertaking, right? But there's something that happens when we read through the Bible for ourselves, right? There's something that happens instead of this rendition, instead of just this, like, this version that you've been handed, instead, you start to read for yourself, and you can actually see, what did Jesus really say? What did Jesus actually say? do. You hear me? I remember the first time I read through the Gospels intentionally. I was probably in high school, and I had this moment where I went, Jesus is completely different (laughs) than I thought he was, right? Like, I'd been given a version of Jesus, and, and so I followed that version of Jesus, but I didn't really know what Jesus was about, because I'd never actually read what he said, I'd never actually seen what he did. Like, I hadn't, I'd had little snippets given to me in messages, you know. I'd had little portions and little verses that were communicated to me, whether it was through memorizing or Sunday school or whatever it might have been. But when I actually read through the Gospels for the first time in my life, something altogether different happened. Like, I got to see Jesus for who he really was for the first time. And so what we're going to talk about today is we're going to dig into the Gospels, okay? We have four Gospels in the New Testament that kick off the New Testament. And this week is going to be primarily, in, in y'all's reading plan, is going to be primarily focused on the Gospels. Now this is the coolest thing about the Gospels. Um, you know, you'll hear people say sometimes that, that some scripture is, that, or that all scripture is, is equally important. And though I agree with that, because as you guys have just looked at in your last series, in transit, right, you guys have been saying Everything in the Bible points to Jesus, right? But what we see in the Gospels is the coolest thing because, because see, we know as Christians that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So when we see Jesus, we see what God is like, right? And so when we read through the Gospels and we actually read the words of Christ, we actually see what Jesus did, what ends up happening is we actually start to get to really see what God is like. Like the whole Old Testament points to Christ. And as you guys are going to see as we walk through this series, the whole New Testament points back to Christ. It's all of these these fresh new believers trying to grapple with what does it mean that Jesus came and did what he did. And so as we talk about the Gospels, it's more, like these Gospels are more than just biographies. They're like a theological work, right? It's not just these people telling us what Jesus did, but they're actually trying to communicate some ideas, okay? And so we have four different Gospels, and it's really beautiful because if you ever talk to somebody, and then you talk to somebody else about the same situation, and there's just a totally different story, right? And neither of them were lying, it's just different perspectives. You hear what I'm saying? Two people could be at the same event and walk away with completely different takeaways, right? Right? And this is exactly what happened with the ministry of Jesus. 
And so with our four Gospels, you know, early in the church there was this movement to take all four Gospels and turn them into one. And just, well, let's, let's consolidate everything and try to decide what, what really happened and we're just going to put it into one book and that'll be what starts the New Testament. And thankfully the early church fathers said, no, we can't do that. We need all four perspectives, right? And so what we're going to do today is we're going to dig into a little bit of the history and the background and the reasoning behind why these different gospelers wrote what they did, okay? Because all four of them have a fresh take, have a unique perspective, and they're trying to communicate something important. And so as you all read through the gospels this week, um, what you're going to hopefully see is that these writers really had this really cool intention to it, and hopefully if we can kind of get a little bit of context before we dig into it, it'll help us to see uh, what's going on here. Amen? All right. Can you, would you guys pray with me real quick before we dig in? Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. I'm thankful for uh, my church family here at Central, and uh, God, we just, we pray that as I speak today that, that you would speak through me. God, I pray that it wouldn't be my words, but it'd be your words. Jesus, we're going to dig into the Gospels, which tell us who you are, and this morning we desire to encounter you. And so we pray that you would do that. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. All right, so let's dig into Matthew first. That's the first book of the New Testament. It's the first one you guys are going to read through. Um, and let's, let's throw up uh, Matthew 1, 1 on the screen. This is the very first verse in all of Matthew. This is how he starts, right? So think about this. Jesus comes to earth, right? It's this massive uh, massive thing, everybody's talking about it, huge deal, right? Matthew goes to record, this is what happened when Jesus came to earth, right? This is what it looked like, and this is where he starts. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he continues for a good chunk of the first chapter with a long list of names. Fun, right? <laughs> Like, if you were trying to write a script or you were trying to write a book, right, you brought that to a publisher, they'd be like, this is garbage, get it out of here, right? It's horrible. Um, this is how Matthew starts. And it's really interesting. He actually starts with a genealogy. Now, it's important for us to remember that Jesus was Jewish, right, and that Matthew was Jewish, Okay. Now what Matthew's doing here is actually really interesting. If you dig into it and you read what the biblical scholars say about what Matthew's doing here, is he actually starts with, a, with groups of names. And so if you read this in its original text, Matthew starts with groups of names. And so what he'll do is he'll give us 14 names, and then he'll like take a break and ma make a sentence. And then he'll start with another paragraph of 14 names, and then he'll take a break and make a sentence, okay? So he's giving us the genealogy of Jesus in groups of 14, if you will. What in the world is that, right? Now, if we know that in a Jewish context, uh, people actually had numbers that were assigned to their names, if you will. Like their names had numerical value, okay? And if you break it down, I won't break it down right now because it's kind of long and boring, but if you break it down, King David's numerical value to his name was 14. So if you're a Jew and you're reading this passage and it says Jesus, the son of Abraham, right, then what ends up happening is you go, oh, wait, he's doing something here. You see that? And then you start reading it and you go, wait, one, two, three, four, that's 14 names. Oh, wait, okay, let's, that's 14 names, right? And what Matthew's doing is it's a little bit insider, right? But what Matthew's doing is he's trying to tell us that Jesus 
is the new King David, which you guys just talked about a couple weeks ago, right? When we talked about our In Transit series, we said that David pointed to Jesus and that Jesus is the new and better King David, right? And so what Matthew's doing is he's starting his book by saying, Jesus is the new King David, right? But King David ruled with violence and war, right? King David was a warrior. He was a fighter. And what Matthew's going to try and do in this gospel is he's going to show us that that's not how Jesus rules. That Jesus rules with peace, Jesus rules with love. Jesus rules with grace. So when we're, when we're reading through Matthew, we'll start to pick up on these little things. That Matthew's trying to say, Jesus is a different king than King David. Yes, Jesus is here. He's the Messiah that the Jews have been waiting for. He's going to lead Israel into freedom. But that freedom's going to look completely different than the way that King David did it. You guys with me? And so we see this in Jesus' first public teaching in Matthew. Check it out, Matthew 5. This is called the Beatitudes. You guys may may have heard of these. And this is Jesus' first public teaching that's recorded in the book of Matthew. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the warriors, you see that, the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see what he's doing there? Matthew says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? Blessed are the people that choose the kingdom way that Jesus is ushering in, right? Blessed are those who choose to follow the way of Jesus and not the way of King David, even. Blessed are those who follow what Jesus says and go about things the way that he does, right? You see that? And so Matthew's going, Jesus is the new King David. It's a completely different thing. Be careful because you might miss it. He's not the Messiah we were looking for, but he is the one we need. Jesus is the one to save us, right? And so Matthew is talking about this new thing that Jesus is doing. And so as we're reading through the book of Matthew, you guys will start to see there's little things like that all throughout the book. That Matthew's going, no, Jesus isn't like King David, but he is the Messiah that we've been waiting for, okay? And Matthew's just communicating that, screaming that, like, between the pages of every page of the book of Matthew. And so, what that does is it leads us to the book of Mark, okay? Now, Mark, I've heard it said that Mark is like the Michael Bay of Gospelers, okay? Mark is a really fun book to read, okay? When you go through Mark, it is just like breakneck speeds. It's all action, right? That's all that Mark was about, right? Now, Mark was the earliest gospel written, okay? Mark was written very shortly after Jesus would have ascended into heaven. I mean, Mark wrote it down fast. But something that's really important for us to remember is that Mark was actually written in Rome, okay? And a lot of us know this, but Israel was occupied by Rome. They didn't like Rome. It was a really bad situation for them. And Rome 
led with an iron fist, right? Like Rome was extremely uh, oppressive and violent towards those that would have been against them, right? And so Mark writes this in Rome, and we're just going to read this first little verse here. He's doing something really interesting. This first verse in Mark, he says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, when we read this, we're like, yeah, it's the beginning of the good news, right? Gospel means good news, right? The beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Son of God. Yeah, Jesus is God's Son. Yeah, cool, makes sense, right? But we totally miss it because there's so much, this is such a loaded sentence. Mark is communicating such a loaded sentence here because when he says that word, that term good news, he actually uses the word gospel, right? And the word gospel was used by Rome. You may have heard this. The word gospel was used by Rome when they would come over and take over a neighboring nation, and they would say, this is the gospel, this is the good news that Caesar is king now. This is the good news that Caesar's going to take care of you. The good news is, is you better fall in line or we're going to kill you, right? That's the good news. And that's what they would say. They would show up and this was the gospel. This is the thing that we're proclaiming. This is the gospel, right? And then we see Mark called Jesus the Son of God. Now, like I said, for us, we're like, yeah, Jesus is the Son of God. Of course, right? Makes sense. But this is also a loaded term because the Caesar would call himself the Son of God. The Roman emperor would call himself the son of God. He would say, I was born of God. Therefore, I have the power and the authority to step in and step on all of you, right? And so he used this as like a bargaining chip. He said, I'm the son of God, right? And so Mark writes this sentence in Rome, right after Jesus has ascended into heaven. Do you see how loaded this is? Do you see how subversive this is? Right? He goes, this is the gospel. Not, not Rome's gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? He says, Jesus Christ is the son of God. Right? Any person reading this when this was written down would have gone, dude just got himself in a load of trouble. <laughs> like he like writes it down and runs, like takes off. Right? This is what Mark is doing. Right? And so Mark is trying to communicate something really important to us. Mark is showing us that there's a new way to live in the world. Mark is trying to tell us, like we observe, you know, they observe Jesus came down and he did his ministry for three years and he died on a Roman cross and he was resurrected and invites us into new life, right? Jesus ascended into heaven and he said, go and make disciples. All of this craziness happens, right? And Mark goes, somebody needs to write this down. And so he starts with, this is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's saying this is something completely different. This is a new way to live in the world. This is a new way to be in the world. And Mark is inviting them to take note of this, right? And now what happens in the first chapter of Mark, as you guys will see when we read through, what happens in the first chapter of Mark is it's like it starts with that, right? And then it goes like, Jesus heals multiple people, casts out demons, etc., right? Just the first chapter of Mark, if you read it, it's like Jesus did this, and then immediately he went over and he healed this person, and then immediately he went over and cast out this demon, and then immediately he went over and healed this. It's almost like Mark's like just, 
He's, ta- he's so excited, right? He's trying to communicate this idea like this is what Jesus did. It's almost like he's like this little kid just going like, man, I got to tell you about what happened, right? He's so excited. And so Mark, even though it's a short gospel, right? It doesn't really include, it doesn't include like the birth of Jesus. We don't see that from Mark. Mark just jumps right into it, man. He's like, let me tell you about all of the most awesome things that Jesus did, right? This is the Michael Bay movie of Gospels. It's like explosions everywhere, you know. I did three different castings for Transformers, right? Like, this, there's no other castings in Mark. But, like, this is what Mark does, right? He goes, this is what Jesus did, and you have to know about it because this changes everything. There's a new way to live. There's a new way to think about the world, right? There's a new way to walk in life, and Mark is trying to explain this to us. And what he's doing in this first chapter is he's showing us that even though Jesus' way is meek, it's not weak. That's what Mark is trying to show us. He's showing, that, showing us that even though Jesus is humble and even though Jesus is meek, that Jesus has immense power, that Jesus being God himself can do anything, And so Mark starts off his first chapter with like, this is the gospel of Jesus, the son of God, right? And then he goes from there and he just goes, he healed this person, he cast out this demon. Like, Jesus has power over all earthly and spiritual authorities. Like, Jesus is powerful. And so even though he says, blessed are the meek, and he means that, that doesn't mean weakness. That there's a strength in this new way of living. You guys see that? And so that's what Mark's trying to do. Now let's jump into Luke real quick. Luke was a doctor, okay? And so what you'll notice when we read through Luke is that there's a lot of detail in his writing, okay? Luke is kind of, like, kind of comes across as a know-it-all, a little bit of a jerk. Like, if you look at this, Luke 1, 1 through 4, let's just read this together. He says, many have undertaken to drop an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from the first were who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, right, you hear this, like, I carefully investigated, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. You guys see this? Like, it's so much more scholarly, right? (laughs) It's so much more intelligent, you know? Like, Luke's one of those guys, like, you're talking and just having a normal conversation, and they drop this huge word that you don't know what it means. You're like, dude, you could have used a different word, not made me feel like an idiot. Like, come on, man, help me out here a little bit, right? Like, his vocabulary is just immense, right? And so biblical scholars, like, are super impressed with how Luke writes, Luke's super smart, okay? Luke uses words, this was written in Greek originally, Luke uses words that none of the other gospelers use because Luke was just like a very intelligent dude. Now, not only was Luke extremely smart, he was a Gentile, which means he wasn't a Jew. And that's really interesting because Luke is the only Gentile contributor to the Bible. It's pretty crazy, right? Every other person that wrote a book in the Bible was Jewish except for Luke. And Luke wrote two books. He wrote Luke and Acts, which you guys are going to read through as well. And so you might see like a similar writing style between Luke and Acts, right? And actually what biblical scholars believe is that Luke and Acts should have been read together. Like it really should be read together as like a continuing story. And that's why Luke wrote it the way that he did. But either way, 
Luke is the only Gentile contributor to the Bible, which is actually really interesting. I know for us, we're like, okay, great, cool, he's Greek, not a Jew, whatever, no big deal, right? But it's actually really interesting because Luke is expanding what it means to follow Jesus in a massive way. And so Luke's goal, Luke was like a reporter. He wasn't an eyewitness. Like biblical scholars don't believe that Luke was actually an eyewitness. Luke actually heard about Jesus, and he traveled with Paul. Like when Paul was doing all his missionary stuff, he traveled with Paul for a while. Um, But Luke was actually, he heard about what Jesus did, and then he was like, I got to go talk to everybody who saw him or had any kind of encounter with him, and I have to figure out exactly what happened and write it down exactly the way it happened, right? This is Luke's goal. So he goes around like a reporter, you know? He's got his little, like, pocket recorder, and he's like, tell me everything about Jesus, right? This is what Luke is doing, okay? And Luke is trying to give us, like, a very accurate representation of what Jesus did. But more so than that, what we see with Luke, Luke's agenda is he's trying to show us that what Jesus did is not just a Jewish thing, right? Could you imagine if every single book in the Bible was written by a Jew, like how hard that would be for us? Like a lot of us aren't Jewish, right? And so we're going, man, how does this apply to me, right? But then there's Luke. And the Gentiles were like considered second rate to the Jews. The Gentiles were considered like other, like they were kind of the outcasts. No one really associated with them. And in the early church, there was this struggle of like, should we allow the Gentiles to follow Jesus? Like, we don't really know. I don't know if they're allowed to, you know? There's all this. But then there's the gospel of Luke. And Luke's a Gentile and also gives us possibly the most accurate recording of what Jesus did and said, which is really interesting. And when you read through Luke, what you're going to notice is there are three parables that are in Luke that are in no other gospel. And those three parables show us Luke's agenda, okay? The first parable is the parable of the lost sheep. You guys have heard this before, right? There were the, the shepherd left the 99 sheep to go find the one, right? And then he tells the story of the lost coin. The woman lost a coin and she turned her whole house upside down to get that one coin because it was so valuable to her, right? And then he ends this run of three parables with the lost son, or the prodigal son. And he talks about how the prodigal son went and did all the things his father didn't want him to, spent all of his inheritance, and then when he comes back, the father just runs to him. Like, he doesn't even say sorry. It's just, the father just runs to him and embraces him, right? And so Luke's trying to show us what God's like. Luke's trying to show us what Jesus is like. And Luke is writing from the perspective of an outsider, Luke is writing from the perspective of an outsider, and he's saying, no, Jesus is for the outsiders. Jesus is for the outcasts. Jesus is for the broken people and the people on the outside. Jesus is for these people, and Luke is bent on this. Like, when we read through Luke, guys, you're going to see Luke talks about Jesus sitting and eating with people more than any other gospel. Luke talks about Jesus investing in relationships, talks about Jesus eating and sleeping like a normal human being, right? Like Luke really dives into this whole, Jesus was here to be with the outsider. And so when we hear this, and we we know this, we talk about Jesus like this all the time, right? Jesus was for the outcast. Jesus was for the, uh, the underprivileged. Jesus was for the broken, right? And 
And we see this a lot in Luke. This is really like the main thing of Luke, is Luke is saying, no, Jesus isn't for the religious elite. He's not just for the Jews. Jesus saved me. And I, and I wasn't in the club, right? And so Luke is giving hope and encouragement to anybody who feels like they're not in the club. Anybody who feels like they aren't part of the whole Jesus thing, Luke says, no, no, no. Jesus intentionally goes after you. Jesus wants you, right? Jesus cares about relationship with you. And so then that brings us to John. John is the last gospel that's recorded. And I think it's, it comes last in our order of the four gospels because John was written much later than the other three gospels. Okay, it kind of went Mark and then Matthew and Luke, similar times, and then John was a couple decades later. And John does something really interesting. John is my personal favorite gospel because John's a creative. He really is. Like when you read through the book of John, he's got this like super poetic, beautiful language, right? And John is trying to communicate these really big theological ideas, okay? Now, when John was written, there was this thing going on in the early church. They're grappling with, like, what does it mean that Jesus came and did what he did? Do we really believe that God came as a human and that God would have endured a Roman crucifixion, right? Like, do we actually believe this? This is pretty wild. Like, who was Jesus really? And there was this, like, argument and debate going on in the early church And then John is written, and basically John's whole concept, John's whole idea is, yes, in fact, Jesus is God. You can believe it. This is who he is, right? And we see this in John 1. Check this out. John 1, verses 1 through 5, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, through him all things were made. Now, when he, we, real quick, when he uses this word, the word, okay, he's directly referencing Jesus. What we see a little bit later in the passage is he actually says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. What does that sound like? It's Jesus, right? And so he uses this word, word with a capital W. He's actually referencing Christ, right? And so, but anyway, let's continue. He says, without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Do you see that? Do you see that like poetry? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, right? And so John is doing this important work. He's saying, listen, Jesus was not just a good man. Jesus was not just a good teacher. Jesus was not just a guy with some great ideas, right? That would have been fine. That would have been cool, whatever. That's not who Jesus was. And in this argument and in this, in this debate in the early church, who was Jesus really? What did he actually do? What, you know, you got to think, John was written probably 80, 70 to 90 era. And so you've got people that are born that, that were not alive when Jesus was alive. You've got a, a generation or two that have now been born and, that, you know, their parents are telling them about what Jesus did But they're trying to figure out for themselves, like, what does this really mean? Who really is Jesus, right? And then John comes with his gospel. And in the most, like, beautiful, poetic prose, he says, no, no, no. Don't get it twisted. Jesus is God. Jesus is 
God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? And so this is what John wants us to see. Now, you'll, you'll notice as we read through John, there are also stories in John that we don't see in other Gospels, right? Like, there's the story of the woman caught in adultery, right? That's included in John, and it's not included in the other Gospels. And this story of the woman caught in adultery is so beautiful, right? Because, because she is caught in the act, and they drag her out in front of Jesus, and they say, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and you know what the law says, the law was that they had to stone her publicly. And Jesus says, you without sin cast the first stone, and all of her accusers walk away, right? Now, what's happening here is already humongous, because Jesus, if Jesus was just a teacher, if Jesus was just a rabbi, he wouldn't have had the authority to say what he did. So Jesus is, is, is kind of... I mean, he's got some guts here, right? <laughs> like, he's got some gumption, and he's going, no, 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 no. That's not how this is going to play out. I know that that's the way that the Old Testament law was written, but that's not how we're doing things here, right? But then he goes a step further, and Jesus asks the woman, where are your accusers? Have they all left? And they had. And then he tells her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Who is this man that he thinks he has the power to forgive someone's sin? Oh, he's God. You see that? Right? So Jesus not only takes the authority to like, no, I know that that's what the law says, but we're going to do this, right? We're going to have mercy. We're going to show grace, right? But on top of that, Jesus goes a step further and he says, I have the authority because I am God incarnate. You're forgiven. Right? And we see Jesus forgive people's sins all throughout the book of John because John's trying to show us Jesus has that authority. Jesus has that power. And in the midst of a debate of who is Jesus, right, that's where we're at in our world, right? Everyone's asking this question even still. Everyone looks at Jesus and, I mean, even if you don't follow Jesus, even if you're not a church person, like, you know about Jesus. You've heard about Jesus, Right? At the least, it's like a swear word you use, right? <laughs> and so people are saying, who is Jesus? We still have people asking, who is Jesus? And the book of John says, Jesus is God. Like, indefinitely, no question, Jesus is God. It's powerful. Another thing that we see in the book of John is the vine and the branches that that teaching of Jesus that we call the vine and the branches. It's beautiful poetry. Let's, let's read it real quick. It's in John 15. John's, or John writes, I am the vine, you are the branches. This is Jesus speaking. He says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, listen, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So John forwards this idea all throughout his gospel. He is communicating these teachings that Jesus gave us, right? Jesus is saying, I want you to be with me. 
It's more than just believing that I am who I say I am, right? I want to invite you into a dynamic, real, intimate relationship with me, right? Jesus is inviting us. He says, I encourage you, remain in me, abide in me. And what does he say at the end? He says that you will bear much fruit. Now, for us, that's like, okay, great fruit. I like fruit. Like, apples are tasty, right? But what John is doing is he's actually, he's telling us this whole bear fruit idea is that as we do what Jesus did, and as we remain in Jesus, right, as we read scripture, and we contemplate, and we pray, and we spend time in meditation, and we experience the presence of Jesus, that what ends up happening is that we're going to go do what Jesus did, right? That's why he says when we bear fruit, people will see that we are his disciples, right? Because we follow him. We do what he did, right? And the only way that we can do what he did is if we abide in him, is if we remain in him. And so John is trying to communicate this all throughout his gospel. He's saying, this is the way that people will know that Jesus is God. This is the way that people will know that Jesus was doing this new thing, that this new gospel, this thing that Jesus is doing, this kingdom, this is the way people are going to figure it out, is that we have to remain in Christ. We have to have this dynamic, real, intimate relationship with Jesus. And from that, we will produce fruit. We'll do what Jesus did. We'll care about what Jesus cares about, right? And as people see us doing what Jesus did, as people see us chasing the things that Jesus is after, they start to go, wow, maybe Jesus really is God. Right? And so John is forwarding this idea to us, and he's saying, listen, Jesus is God, and God invites us into relationship with him. That's powerful stuff. God invites us into relationship with him. And so I think, I think sometimes when we dig into scripture, at least for me, I know this was the case for me for a long time. When we dig into the Bible, a lot of the time, you know, I used to read the Bible out of uh, obligation. I used to go, well, I know I'm supposed to read the Bible, so I guess here, I'll open it up. Flip it open, see what page it lands on. <laughs> right? You've done that before? Let's just flip it open, see what page it lands on. I'll just read some verses, and then I can go about my day, right? Or sometimes we approach the Bible, like, for knowledge. You know what I'm saying? Like, we go, oh, my, I just want to know. Like, I want to have that one verse that if people are arguing with me, I can go, no, Jesus is on my side. Here it is, right? And I used to read the Bible like that, man. I really did. Until I started to see that that's not why the Bible was written. That's not why the book of John was written. That's not why the Gospels were written. Like, something else is going on here. And what John's trying to show us, and what, what we'll see as we read through the Gospels, is that, is that Jesus wants to have relationship with you. That the Gospels are not about obtaining knowledge. The Gospels are not about fulfilling obligation. The Gospels are about meeting Jesus. And as we meet Jesus, not a rendition of Jesus, not a version of Jesus, not something that we've been handed, but as we actually read through the Gospels, we're going to see Jesus for who he really is. And something is going to happen where the Spirit of God is going to speak to us and instead of just reading about Jesus, we're going to have an encounter with Jesus. We're going to actually get to see Jesus and hear Jesus. 
and Jesus is going to speak to us, right? This is crazy. I know, I know, it's crazy, but we really believe this. This is something that Christians experience all of the time, is that we read the Bible, and the Bible is like a doorway. It's like a gateway for us to enter the presence of Christ. That as we open up those pages, that Jesus will speak through Scripture. And it's not about the words themselves. It's not about the knowledge that are in these words. But, but the Bible will teach us who Jesus is. And as that happens, Jesus himself shows up. And so maybe this morning, this is the first time that you're hearing about a relationship with Jesus. Maybe this is the first time that you're going, no, I've never really heard about that. I've never really thought in those terms, like Jesus wants to have a relationship with me. Like Jesus wants to speak to me and, and I want, he wants me to experience his presence. If that's you this morning, we would love to pray with you. We would love to talk with you. Just find somebody on staff after the service and we would love to chat with you. Um, because it, this is like, this is the whole thing, right? Like God became human and, and he wants a relationship with you. That's it's powerful. But maybe you're here today, and I have a feeling this is a lot of us this morning. Maybe you're here today and you've been reading the Bible out of obligation. You've been reading the Bible for knowledge or to win an argument. And we've been using scripture all wrong, right? And maybe this morning, as you heard this whole, like, we're going to read through the whole New Testament in 30 days. You went, oh, Lord, that's a lot of reading, right? Like, maybe it didn't get you excited. Maybe you're like, man, that's a lot of reading. I don't know if I can keep up, right? I mean, I know that we're going to do a lot of cool stuff to make it easy for you guys. But, but this morning, I invite you to commit. This morning, I invite you to say, Jesus, I don't just want to read these words and walk away unchanged. I don't want to just read these words and go, oh, wow, that's cool knowledge. Now I know where, what chapter this one's in, right? Instead, I invite you this morning to actually have a genuine encounter with Christ. That as we read through the Gospels this week, that Jesus would show up. And I promise you that if you invite him to do that, he will. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes.